0: Hey, this is kate welcome to two pastors take a walk even though we really took a run and make a podcast
1: this is yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us what we're thinking about and what we are preaching
0: and i just we've been sitting here talking getting ready to talk which is a good thing <laughs> talking about our getting ready, talking, to talk. get ready to talk and i read something <laughs> that made me really angry which i'm not going to talk about because i'm angry about it and so i don't want to I don't want to, I want to.
1: We haven't had a good rant from you in
0: I know. a long time. But I'm just saying like that I'm coming from a place of rant. And so um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not going to rant about the thing that's actually making me angry right now, but it's making me really angry. I you know
1: you've done that before. Like we have had a conversation before we hit the record button and you said, I'm not going to talk about this thing. And then I'm and like, I'm <laughs> going
0: to talk about it. Yep. I'm going to talk about it. I'm probably going to talk about it. That's true. But all I'm saying is. You better talk about what you're astonished by first, because I'm not—I'm not in a posture of astonishment, but I'm going to get there.
1: Well, I am astonished um, by—well, once again by the elders um, at Derrida Church. We had our last meeting of the year last night, and I took some time during that meeting just to thank them for their work uh, because it's been a hard year and. Not only hard in terms of the ministry, but their own lives have been challenging. I, I don't. I can only think of one of our elders that isn't going through a health crisis, uh, and the, and that elder is taking care of a spouse who is going through a health crisis. Our elders are now um, giving people rides to church. There are a number of people who just can't, just because of age and illness, uh, can't drive. Wait, I'm sorry.
0: Can you pause for one second for anyone who's listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. who is not from our tradition and describe what you mean when you use the word elder?
1: Sure. Yes. Elders are members of the congregation who have been called by God to serve in a governing function on a board that we call the session. And so they are ordained to a leadership role, a caretaking role, a shepherding role, um, they have not been um, seminary trained, um, but nonetheless called by God to uh, work with me to lead the congregation in mission.
0: Right, and we do not have a hierarchical system, but <laughs> but we do, and it's important that the that we also are elders. So we Correct. what's we our are teaching, terminology? We are We're teaching, teaching elders, elders. Teaching elders. And then you are talking about the ruling elders in your congregation, and part of. And so we, but we're all elders, and we use that language to make it really clear our value, which is that, you know, it, we believe that Jesus Christ calls all people to ministry. Everyone is in full time ministry. Every ministry that is done to the glory of God has equal worth and weight in God's eyes. And so we have a particular kind of ministry that is designated teaching ministry, uh, teaching eldership, and it includes the visible functions that people in the culture most often identify with being a pastor or being a minister but in our, inside our system an elder is an elder is an elder is an elder and so you when you are talking to the elders you are talking to the people who are co-leading the church with you in this season
1: correct and that's a important uh, point to make because in so many other christian communities the pastor is um the sole leader if, if the pastor wants something to happen it's automatically going to happen there's no board or there's there's really no um, there's no other governing authority at the local level and so um, yeah we, we have a group of elders who this year have sacrificed and worked and given so much I and mean, we've we have one who he I mean, went through chemo treatments most of the year, one who is having problems with her eyesight and is at the optometrist at least every other week. I mean, with serious eye issues. And still, these folks show up on Sunday, show up in terms of serving and doing hard work. I don't know where we would be without them. One of the things I am aware of, and I need to probably share this with the congregation before the end of the year, that so much of the work of these elders is not, it's not seen. It's just, it's, it's below the surface. And, um, like much of my work these days, things just get done Mm -hmm. and, you know, people show members of the congregation show up and certain things are done. And, um, I I just want to highlight that scripture that says, um, elders who rule well are worthy of honor or worthy of double honor mm. and I want to take a moment in worship uh, to honor these elders because they really have uh, in a season that's hard and doesn't seem like it's going to get easy anytime soon been steady. N- none of us have been have done this perfectly but I can say that um, the elders of Derida Church have, sacrificed much this past mm-hmm. year
0: mm-hmm. well it's really beautiful it's really yeah. beautiful
1: what about you what's astonishing you
0: well i mean so um life at the grove is actually really visibly very beautiful right now and on sunday we um were able to rejoice and celebrate some folks choosing, um, to join the congregation, which is really,
1: that's always fantastic.
0: I mean, it's just a really beautiful moment. And I I just, I mean, I will never ever stop being astonished. Um, when, when people say, you know, when people say, yes, I, I, I want to be part of what God is doing here. Um, it's just such a sacred, Thing. and it just gives me so much encouragement and I I think part of it is just the context of remembering where we've been and remembering how for so long it just looked inevitable that this congregation was going to die and what we were doing was so um, just I mean I say all the time that if you're called to something new you have to start at the beginning and the beginning like you don't get to start out as an expert. Um, and so I, and I, I mean, we're still not experts, b- believe me, but I mean, there are just certain visible aspects of being church that we, I mean, because we've changed the whole culture of worship, um, at, at, which was really powerful, I think, mostly, I mean, there's a pragmatic element of like, if you want to help people find Jesus, then you need to worship in language that people use in their everyday life lives. Like if, if you, you know, there's a reason that in Vatican II the Catholic church said, Hey, let's stop doing our services in Latin because most people don't speak Latin. And it's hard to say, come into this community because it will radically transform your life. If when people walk in the door, they don't understand a word of being, what's being said. It's hard to say like, no, I promise this is relevant to you. I promise there's a personal God who's walking with you. Like it's like, that's hard to do and yeah, so the
1: problem is that the, the way you have done it becomes the sacred thing becomes sacred to of you instead the message it communicates right
0: you, you begin to worship the vessel instead mm-hmm. of the message and so and obviously like in our churches, nobody is worshiping in Latin, but in a lot of mainline churches, we worship with a set of sacred songs and sacred prayers. You know, we speak in these and thous and ways that we don't speak in everyday life. And we sing hymns that are sacred to us about, you know, bulwarks and fortresses and just things that they're true, but they were written in the idiomatic language of the 17th, 18th, 19th century, And if you want to introduce people to Jesus instead of just try to hold on to people who already are in relationship with Jesus, then you have to be interested in learning to speak the eternal truths of God in the language of today. And I mean, of all the people in the world, the people who worship the God who made, became flesh and interrupted in human history to come and be among us, like we should get that Like that's not... Being trendy, it's not selling out. It is living in line with the God who emptied Himself of His splendor and came down to dwell in poverty and marginality to be near to us. Like we should be less concerned with how beautiful and sophisticated our liturgies are, and more concerned with how true and life changing and love giving they are. So anyway,
1: I'm I'm looking up um, a video that I watched last week on YouTube. Um, it's it's by the folks out of um, Asbury Seminary, United Methodist. And uh, this guy, I, I guess he teaches there. He has published a book called Live Streaming the Holy Spirit. And he talks about getting downloads from the Holy Spirit. And at first I was like, okay, this is really kind of kind of hokey or whatever but it's the language in which people speak and understand and as he continued to talk i was like oh i get it i Mm -hmm. get it." it it just made the work of the spirit so accessible
0: which should be really what matters to us and i anyway all this is to say you know we still as a community and i really mean this i'm not being humble we still as a community have so much learning and growing to do to become the healthy and holy multi-ethnic church full of good news and transformed lives and new disciples that I I believe that God is calling us to be. And And I'm saying that because I'm not ashamed that we have so much growing to do. And I know that it's not like God is somewhere out there tapping his foot, waiting for us to get it together, that this process of growing is, you know, it, it is the point, like the, the point that we have growing to do is not evidence that we, you know, need a timeout. And now we, Lucy, you have some explaining to do, like, this is the point, like we grow and we'll never get to a point when we don't. And also, like, we really do, like, we want to be this community that is an Outpost and embassy of the kingdom of God. But, you know, that's hard to do when we carry in the culture that forms us. We just have so much growing to do. And we have grown so much, which is one another reason that I'm not ashamed to say, like, we have so much growing to do because I'm so grateful that elders who were serving with me and members said, you know, let's just let's just try to be as faithful as we can be until God gives us the ability to be more faithful and to be unashamed about, about wanting to make that journey. Um, so, I mean, I just, I'm looking back to how certain I was for so long that the church was going to close and how, you know, just foolish I felt all the time trying to lead this congregation and learning how to sing and worship and, um, live it together in a new way and and how you know i was trained to be an expert who had the answers and then all of a sudden i was in the middle of a community where you know i just you know i was responsible for doing something that i didn't know how to do and um ha, you know you have to trust the holy spirit to show up which is really uncomfortable and and so but i faithful. just ne- mean yes but you know, not the faithfulness I was trying to be a part of, right? (laughs) Um and I I just look at where we are today and am so astonished um at what God did. That was just so far beyond my wildest expectations. And um so I just like I don't know I, I don't I actually don't know a pastor who I don't personally know any pastors who take it for granted when people join their church. It's like, I'm sure that, like, the mega church dudes are like, I mean, I hear them talking about, like, we baptized 20,000 people this year and we're up, our ROI is five, I mean, whatever. Like, maybe some of those people think it's just an ex- something they expect and they're not. But, I mean, I don't know a pastor personally who is not just astonished and moved beyond um Really, articulation at when people say, Yes, I want to be part of this community because it's just not a decision that makes sense and tracks with the culture these days. Um, so it was really beautiful, and looking back is so helpful to me when I get overwhelmed thinking about the future because I think, Well, you know. I have experienced God's faithfulness beyond my wildest expectations in the past, and so the future may not look the way I, in my natural wisdom, want it to look or expect it to look. But I, I believe that it will be good, and I have this, um, you know, I I have this lived experience of saying when I thought there was no hope and no point. Um, there was hope and there was a point and um, and so just that that experience um, w- is is just so um, is so beautiful to me and I'm so grateful and I'm so grateful for all the people who poured into me and encouraged me and us and just to get to see and, and it's not just me I mean I'm whatever this is my astonishment so it's okay for me to center myself in that but I know that, you know for for everyone who's a part of our community we're just so um we're so excited and when people come and say i mean like it's so silly but i i'm like huh? like you you want to be part of our like yes. i'm just so yes. honored well um, one
1: of the things yeah. that uh, my coach tom bandy said to me that uh, just gold is said the challenge for your congregation and many if not most smaller congregations is to have a sense that God is with them, that many congregations are working hard, just trying to keep going, keep the doors open. But what they often lack is a sense of God is in this. And when someone joins the church, that seems to be a very tangible sign oh, God is with us because we don't make people join. We mm-hmm. we, we don't have the, um, as smaller congregations, we don't have the the light show and the spectacular and the whatevers to kind of um, uh, the exterior performance to draw people. Yeah. And so when someone joins, it does give us a sense, oh, yes, God is in this. Yeah,
0: that something is working underneath the surface and that not everything is up to us. Like mm-hmm. we, there are things that we are doing that matter and God is in them. And also it's really just amazing to see like, oh, this is not dependent on me and my effort and my hustle and my grind or any of that other stuff. Um, and I think like in general, because we are in this post-Christendom world, and I celebrate that because when we talk about Christendom, what we're really talking about is colonial Christianity, right? So like, I'm glad that we are moving into a time where there's not an expectation by the dominant structures of the day that everyone will profess Jesus Christ as Lord, which then means that the cross gets co-opted to be, you know, a um a signifier of the righteousness of the way things are. Um, But moving, you know, there was a time when every quote, decent person belonged to a church. And so then churches were just kind of, competing for market share and, and to join a church, you know, everyone had to join a church. Um, But, and, and then there, there's, you know, we don't live in that time anymore. So for people to make a choice to formally affiliate with any congregation is already just like, begs the question of like, why would you do that? And then to take it, the second question of just saying like, we are not a church that says like, oh yeah, join our church. Cause then your kids can be first on the waiting list for the preschool or, you know, join our church because then your teenagers will send them to Mexico and Hawaii and everywhere else. I mean, like there, there aren't these like obvious reasons and perks that you get from being affiliated with our congregations. And so when people choose to do that, it's a really powerful like, ratification that this. there's no reason to join our congregations unless you're on a spiritual journey. And so to see people make that choice is a manifestation of the way that the Holy Spirit is working through our ministries. And that's all we want, right? All we want is to say, I'm offering these gifts to you, God, so that you will use them for the purposes of your kingdom. And so when someone says, you know, The Lord is calling me to be a part of what's happening here. Um, And I know it's not because you're going to meet people who will help you get a job or you're going to be, you know, it's because you are seeking for a place to serve the Lord and the Lord has told you this is that place. Like that is just such an amazing place of encouragement and astonishment.
1: You mean it's not because of your great preaching?
0: It is not because of my great preaching. Wow. Um, I mean, and like in all candor, like I think for a long time when we when we go to seminary, like the implicit message is if you're good, if you're smart, if you work hard and if you are excellent, your churches will be flourishing. And the reality is I know a lot of pastors who are smarter than me, who who work as hard or or harder, who you know have gifts and skills, who preach great sermons, and You know, that's not that that in and of itself, like the worthiness of the pastor, you cannot discern the worthiness of the pastor by the size of the church. And like, Mm -hmm. goodness gracious, if we can't tell that now, you know, so, yeah, like I think that I am good at what I do. Like this is the work that God crafted and called me to do. And God is with me in it. But I know that it's not about me that if the church is growing and flourishing, it's because people are coming alive in Christ and that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit does not work for me. <laughs> like, and I am not the Holy Spirit. And I just think that radical vulnerability of showing up every day, which is, this is the life of faith, the radical vulnerability of showing up every day and say, whatever, my utmost for his highest, but no expectations of this is how the Lord has to use my gift. I don't know how the Lord is going to use my gift. And I try really hard not to second guess that and to bring my discouragement and my encouragement to God and say, please don't let this malform my spirit. And please don't let my relationship with you be always contingent on how good or how bad I feel about my ministry. And you can insert whatever idol Tempts you, so your family, your marriage, your success, your weight, your you know, whatever you can bench at the, you know, our relationship with God is not contingent upon what our lives look like or even what our lives feel like. Um, and and you know, I mean, we've had lots of conversations about my crying on the rain, crying in the rain on the rock moment of realizing like I gave my life to Jesus so that I would be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that was my free choice, my wholehearted choice without knowing anything really. <laughs> but that is how all journeys start. And then along the way, you know, receiving this call to ministry and it's been pure gift. And also if pastoral ministry goes away tomorrow, I still can do the thing that I committed my life to doing, which is following Jesus. And, and Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I want to be a part of the kingdom. And there's no, I don't need any external validation or platform in order to be able to walk that out. And, um, keeping that center that all of this is, is good and God uses it, but it's all, it's all not the main thing. And the main thing is, Jesus. I mean, I know that sounds like a bumper sticker, but like if that, if we, if that's not real for us as pastors, then we're in great danger.
1: Yeah. And I think this season of pandemic um, highlights that I was saying to our elders last night, you know, this is a really hard time. And most of us, if not all of us are struggling in some way, but at the same time, this is exciting because this pandemic has forced us to deconstruct some things that were just not true, not helpful, uh, uh, shaken us out of some um, sleepiness in our spiritual lives. And we get to live in this time of rebuilding, rethinking uh, the faith, the church again, hard, (laughs) painful, yet exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. in, In our neighborhood, Houses are being built. Um, people are moving in. Things are happening. And what an incredible time to press the reset, the restart button on the ministry. Because uh, there are people who are, they want to know and walk with Jesus. And yet, at the same time, they do not want to come into a congregation where you know, everyone has already, um, you know, all the relationships have been formed. They're, they've are they known each other for 30 plus years and that these new folks have to be there for a decade or more before they stop being yes, called. sit the on new, the bench. Yeah, right. before and they, yeah. They're, yeah. they're no longer the new person, right? And I think this pandemic has, has quickened, quickened that sense of we exist to be on mission for jesus we're not simply a building on a corner but we're here for a purpose
0: and i think if we norm ourselves to the witness of scripture instead of the witness of americanized version of christianity then like in that context where we are doesn't feel like a failure and it doesn't feel like bad news it feels like oh god is alive and at work in the world rebirthing all things and feels like you want to look and say like gosh there were people who loved God quite sincerely when Jesus came and was incarnate and they missed what God was doing because they were clinging to their sacred traditions of their past and that does not make them bad um, but it means they missed it and so we have to understand Are we in the preservation business or do we actually believe that our job is not just to hold on here as long as we can, but our job is that God, that our, our life is that is good because God is alive and at work in the world, redeeming and making things new. And we don't have to be creators or redeemers. We just get to walk along with the Holy Spirit offering our whole hearts and seeing what God will do with them. Like that's the idea of grace, not just, well, God's going to forgive me no matter what. So I don't have to be afraid of dying. Grace is that indwelling of God that makes us, um, both different than we've ever been and more fully ourselves than we have ever been. And also that makes the things that we do more, than what they are, right? So, yeah, like, we're
1: in the position of simply receiving and responding to what God is doing in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think so many of us in mainline churches have felt like, no, I've, uh, you know, I'm my... Well, or I've also like, we bought this theology of like blessed to be a blessing, like, God has blessed me, and now it's my job to go out and bless others on God's behalf. Like, I liked what you said earlier about like, it's this really sort of innocuous way that we have bought into the lie of the serpent in the garden of like, eat this fruit and you'll be like God. Like I'm not like God, right? Like I am not, it is not my, it is my job to be faithful and to live by the covenant and to live, um, with a a radical seeking of what is the Holy, where's the Holy Spirit and what is the Holy Spirit calling me to, to do and be, and to know that God is going to bear fruit that because I'm you know, it by the grace attached to the vine and to accept that God is gonna prune, like that's my job. But my job is not to, you know, I wasn't endowed with certain gifts that now I'm to go out into the world like a little God and help people get the blessings they should get from God. And you know, I like I'm not that's not it. Um but I think we we often function in that way. We've gotten really far away from I'm really happy this week because people join the grove.
1: <laughs> like, I
0: don't Um, This is the problem with talking before we talk, is that we're having like 19 conversations at once. Um, What are you thinking about?
1: Well, I am thinking about today being the ninth anniversary of the shooting at Sandy Hook School in Connecticut. Uh, Nine years ago, a 20-year-old man entered that elementary school and shot 20-plus elementary school kids um, I think ages like six and seven. They're all
0: first graders.
1: Yeah. Um, and here in our own city yesterday, um, breaking news story about a gun on a school campus that was fired. We are grateful no one was um, harmed in that. But once again, oh, and I, re- I was watching the news yesterday, and they were interviewing one of the parents, uh, one of the local parents, and asking her what should be done and she said you know I'm so I'm so saddened by you know these shootings and these shootings are happening all over the world and we've got to do something and I thought no ma'am these things are not happening all over the world Mm -hmm. they're just happening here this is a problem in this country we're not hearing about these kinds of school shootings in any other place but here. And yet, we act as if we cannot protect our children from a culture of violence because what's more important is the protection of our Right to own go- uh, own guns, and that takes the priority. And we're just going to have to find a way to deal with school violence. And
0: I just think it's really interesting that the same people who say faith over fear, I don't need a vaccine because God will keep me safe from the virus, often say I want my rights to defend myself. And I like if I mean I I, I just don't understand why, as people of the cross, we can't understand that god does not always protect god's own from violence but calls god's own to respond to violence as a peacemaker and that involves laying down your life sometimes and so i don't i mean but i do think it's really interesting and and everyone does this myself included right but how how easy it is you can you can proof text scripture to justify your desires and current behaviors if, if you want to sure, right absolutely. so you can say both I have enough faith that I don't need to protect myself through a vaccine from the coronavirus and... and also God wants me to have a gun so I can protect myself from evil people and that's just an interesting thing to note how prevalent those beliefs are within you know certain segments of the Christian church and you know Um, all segments of the Christian church need to renew their minds in Christ. So I'm not suggesting that these are the only people who have to deal with, I mean, we, we all have to deal with this. I'm just saying like literally the same phrases of the argument are being, um, are floating around in the national discussion being in. And it's a really interesting thing. And I, you know, my oldest daughter was in first grade Um, nine years ago. And so I I track it by that way. And I remember I had taken the day off work and I had stayed home and I was wrapping Christmas presents and watching TV and it was interrupted. And I mean, I just remember thinking like these parents, like these children's presents are already under the tree. Mm. And I remember waiting to find out, you know, like I knew, you know, as the information was trickling out, I was waiting to find out, you know, how many children were wounded and you know it turns out there were no wounded children like every single person um, the shooter shot died because he was using assault rebel weapons that even the military does not use because it's against international um, treaties for um, rules of warfare because they kill so indiscriminately that trained soldiers are not allowed to use them under the Geneva Convention, but our citizens can have them. And I, you know, I think we just are blind to what we want to be blind to. Um, Yeah,
1: I went to pick up my child from school about a month ago, and there was a car in front of me in the pickup line. had two bumper stickers on the back. One was, um, it was like a, a silhouette of a gun and um, not any old gun, but a, a rifle. And then right across from that, there's a bumper sticker um, advertising a particular church in the area. I mm-hmm. thought, well, there's an interesting ju- juxtaposition, but that's, that's the thinking. It's, you, you highlight both of those things. Mm-hmm. I love my guns. I love my church. That's a lot of American Christianity these days.
0: Well, and I just um, wrote an article for the paper last week about you know, I mean, this is this is our culture. We trust our guns to keep us safe, and we believe that w- we accept that there are a certain number of people every year who are just going to be sacrificed, mm-hmm. and that it's worth it because it keeps the rest of us safe, and that and that's just the brutal reality that we need to accept about our culture is that, I mean, and obviously not everyone, but a a lot of people within the church, like explicitly will say, hey, we have to have our guns because that's what will keep the government from coming and taking. So it is good that some will die so that the whole nation will survive. And I, um, I mean, I I grieve that. And I grieve that as Christians, we are, you know, (laughs) If Christians refuse to take up arms, there would be no more armed conflict in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we said faith in Christ compels me that I cannot take a life, I can lay down my life, but I cannot take a life. If we were faithful to Jesus saying to Peter, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. I mean, Jesus told us, like, why are all our kids dying of guns? Because we worship guns and we think that guns will keep us safe. And they do until they don't. And that's you know, that I mean, that's so clear. And the other thing that I think about this is part of the response and the response, you know, since the shooting in Michigan, um only amplified by what happened on a school campus yesterday. And I think there have been twenty three guns found on the campus of Charlotte Mcmorg schools this year. So, that's an all-time high. But people are saying, well, the superintendent, who's a man named Ernst, Ernest Winston, I always say his name wrong, Winston, Ernest Winston, who came up through CMS as an educator and administrator and is now the superintendent after some other sort of headhunted big-shot superintendents have disappeared in murky circumstances. And the educators I know, like him... And he's obviously had an extraordinary tenure because he's, I mean, I don't think he's been here two years. So it's, you know, but people are saying like, well, what's his plan? What is his plan? How is Ernst, Ernest Winston going to stop this? This it. is unacceptable. One what is his is plan? Fix it. And that's my thing is like, we are, we really seriously, many people seriously think that one man in that job can fix this problem. And the fact that we have this problem is proof that that guy has a job that he does not deserve. Mm -hmm. We really honestly believe that one person in that role could solve this problem for all of us. And I guess the reason we're still here is because what, because he's dumb and he's lazy and he doesn't care about kids. Like that's really what we think that we um just believe that we bear no responsibility other than denouncing whose fault this is and it's just interesting to me that we don't expect our legislature to fix it we don't expect our legislature to have any responsibility in in getting these weapons off the street, we do not expect gun manufacturers to have any responsibility. We don't. We don't ask them any questions about like why is it necessary for you to. sell. We don't expect gun um, sales, you know, gun shops to have any responsibility for why. These um, people end up. You know, we don't expect to. Nobody, nobody can do anything about the fact that you can buy guns at gun shows without background checks. No, it, it just uh, it's like the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. What are you gonna do? You have to sell assault rifles at gun sh- shops, and you can't background check people because what? We don't expect the FBI to be able to keep a national database. We don't want to track how these things are happening on a national level to see if we can stop anything. There was a guy who was being interviewed, he was a security expert in Michigan because he had sold these doorstops that people are crediting with making the violence less deadly in the last major school shooting. And they were saying like, what else can we do? And he's like, you know, listen, we got some bulletproof whiteboards we can sell you. We got some other things, but I got to tell you the thing that would actually make your kids safer in schools is not what I can sell you. You could get more counselors on your campuses. You could get more social workers on your campuses. You could get smaller class sizes and more teaching aids. You could invest in um, public health care that allowed people to have medical care and primary care physicians who could spend time with their patients and know them and see that something is happening you could invest in the kind of resources to help children heal from trauma instead of externalizing it you could give people you know a, a stable housing and an educational system where they can flourish and have a hope for the future i mean you could do all of these things but you don't want to you just want to think that i can sell you guns to arm your teachers or some sort of magic doors that will stop bullets or metal detectors that I mean, like, I cannot sell you the things that will keep your kids safe. But that doesn't mean those kids don't exist. Those things don't exist. It just means you don't want to invest in them. Because we love violence.
1: We want to change without change.
0: And the way that we can change without changing is to say it's Ernest Winston's fault and why doesn't he do his job and come up with a plan that will keep our kids safe and let's just fire him and start another two-year search for the next guy who will come in here and be able to change everything without changing anything anyway I I'll just I'm so grateful I'm so so grateful that no one was harmed at west charlotte yesterday and yes. i so welcome this conversation but not like this i mean well
1: and it was all over a backpack which suggests to me that you have you have kids who are carrying guns simply because they are afraid well, right they, they 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 feel like because of this culture of violence they, they they may not say culture of violence but they but because of the situation they're in, they need to find a way to protect themselves they may not have any intent to harm anyone, but they are they feel afraid, right. but it's only a matter of time
0: before it happens
1: before Someone is hurt or killed.
0: Well, and the reality is, I mean, this is when the Surgeon General says there's a mental health crisis among teenagers, and people are like, "Yeah, eh," Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like these the social emotional learning modules that everybody is making fun of. Like, this isn't a joke. Like, our kids are carrying real trauma, and everybody is so interested in like either the rat race of getting their kids into Harvard or how can we train these kids so that they will show up and work at a candle factory in the middle of a turn tornado and understand that it's their point just to sacrifice their bodies to maintain the capitalist system like we mock the idea that it would be important for our educational system to teach kids how to handle conflict how to make friends like we want to put prayer back in schools but we don't want to teach kids how to how to handle their own emotional pain we think that we laugh at that like people i mean i know people who joke about it and i'm not talking about the teachers who all of a sudden like you were trained and told to teach chemistry and told that your future only depends on how well these kids do on a chemistry test and now we're like here's a lesson and teach them about trauma like you're not equipped for that and i'm not mad at you for that i'm saying like we don't want to invest in the emotional and spiritual health of young people we just want them to get these skills so that we can compete with china because Mm -hmm we see education, I mean, A, as a right, I mean, as a privilege that a lot of people don't deserve, right, which is why we are obsessed with funding charter schools and private schools, and we just want the public schools to be like hunger games, where the Mm. people that matter will rise above and thrive and be resilient and have grit, and everyone else can just get on the school-to-prison pipeline. And see, this is the problem when I start off mad, (laughs) I'm already mad before we even start. I know I'm ranting, and I'm sorry.
1: So what are you thinking about?
0: Well, I'm just going to do it. (laughs) I knew it. I'll just say that right before we started recording, we were talking about what we were going to talk about, and I had my computer open because I was looking for something, and a news bulletin popped up stating that a national foundation that is dedicated to the flourishing of religious communities in this country has given a significant award to a person who is, they've given a significant award that is for pastors to a person who does not pastor a church right mm-hmm. and it's just frustrating to me that even among institutions that literally exist for the flourishing of local congregations, the work of pastoring is so devalued that we'll give pastoral grants to people who don't pastor. And I, and I guess like the connection, I mean, and I know like all the teachers say amen, right? Like they're just, I, I think that one of the things that matters is young people and people in general having communities that can come alongside and help bear burdens and help preach and teach and reveal another way of carrying pain and healing from pain. And I think that our denomination is really into naming Antichrist systems that need to be overturned and I'm here for it and I'm grateful for it. But we also are looking for magical saviors who can like do scholarship and start an institute and solve the problem instead of saying like, no, actually this very unsexy um, institution that's called a local church yes. and a local co- like I, I believe local churches are the hope of the world, because I believe, and I'm not ashamed, I am a pastor. I believe that coming into relationship with Jesus Christ is a transformative event. And I do not believe, and it is not my job to know what is going to happen to people of other faiths, right? So when, like, that's not what this is about for me, but I'm just saying that For a person who follows Jesus Christ, I believe that a person who follows Jesus Christ ought to believe that following Jesus Christ matters, not just for themselves, but for other people. And I believe that a person who follows Jesus Christ ought to have their highest hope in the person of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and not in the institutions that are revered by our culture, which is broken. And I just, it's frustrating to me to see an institution that says, let's, you know, we are funded by the Lilly Endowment to propagate the flourishing of religious communities and then to say, who do we really need to support and resource? It's people who are not pastors. It's people who do things that are more important than pastoring local churches, like writing books and making study guides that can be used where oh, oh, I know where they're going to be used At in local, local church. churches. They but will buy them. But definitely, let's resource the people who don't work in local churches because what in the bleepity bleep would they know about what might be transformative? I mean, like, I just feel like our hope is so in the world. Like, we just want to write a book that the governors and the legislatures and the president will read so that, I mean, the reality is, in our denomination, I mean, we're just we are also trying to be the moral majority, right? Like we are also just believing that if we can get enough of our people, like if I hear, tell me, one more person tells me how many Presbyterians have served in Congress. One more person tells me how many presidents have I'm been Presbyterian. Yeah. One more person tell me that Presbyterian churches are really responsible. Presbyterian pastors, how many of them signed the Declaration of Independence and how many of them are possible, you know, it's our system that's the model for the American government system. And the thing is, you're proud of that you're proud of that like what is the matter with you like are any of these things saving us no not a one they are full they they have status like we are obsessed with status and power and doing the things of jesus which the world does not celebrate and i'm not mad at the world for not celebrating doing the things of jesus not mad at them makes sense to me Mm -hmm. i am not mad at the world for despising local churches But I'm mad at the people who actually get all their money and status from local churches also saying that local churches don't matter. Like, it makes me mad. It makes me mad that you would give this major award. I I don't know. Whatever. Like, I just, if, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Because my hope doesn't lie in these institutions. But it is shocking. Like, I don't expect the secular government to come to a local church and say, how can you be involved in helping to solve the violence crisis in our community. I don't expect that. I don't expect the police to turn. Like, I don't. But I do think it's just so interesting when, when even institutions that grow out of local churches think that local churches have no role to play in the coming of the kingdom of God. That's crazy to and me. And
1: why do you think that's the reality? Why do you think?
0: Because I think that we... Are we, looking, the local church? I think that we Christians look for validation in the world. Mm. And I think especially Christians and in this country, they're more likely to be white. Like Christians who have benefited from the systems as they are continue to look for salvation to come through those systems, right? Like there's a reason that Jesus' disciples could not believe it when he said to them, this temple is going to be overturned because they loved the temple, because God had met them in the temple, because that because it was a rich and deep and authentic way that God had ministered to them. And sure, it had been exploited, and sure it needed a good thorough cleaning, but they could not imagine God being manifest in the world, not through that temple, right? And I think that's the problem, you know, that some of us you know, can recognize that institutions that have been very good for us have been very bad for other people. But we still think like, okay, what God wants to do is clean house, but not do something radically different. And the reality is, I don't know why. I mean, I whatever. I mean, I feel like I do know why. I mean, especially as a as a white person, I know why people put their trust in local governments because as a white person, like the police do keep me safe. Mm. And I did get a good education in public schools. Right. Mm. And the justice, like the justice system has worked for me. And so like, I deeply care that it doesn't work for other people, but I'm pretty sure in my natural mind that if we can just get a few bad apples out of there and a few good apples into there, it'll work for everybody. And I think the reality is you know n- no when i stop and look at the just egregiousness of the harm that it had, these systems have caused and just the human suffering and depravity upon which they were built i think you know not that not that they don't need to exist but that like something it's just deeper 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 work which is why i think like yes i th- I do think that people having a radical, transformative, reorienting encounter with Jesus that leads me to say, I no longer want to work to protect myself and to advance myself and to get what I can for my own I want to work for the shalom of the world. I want to consider not what's best for me, but what's best for my neighbor, because I really authentically believe that what is best for my neighbor is best for me, right? Like, I, that's where I think I have hope. Like, I think that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and that there is hope of reconciliation and redemption in Christ. And again, like, I get that if you're a Buddhist or you're a Muslim or, or a Taoist or an atheist, you don't think that. Fair enough. Fair enough but how is it that Christians don't think that yeah. that's what i don't get i mean like just that experience that you had of like being on a church committee a, a denominational committee talking about transforming churches and then they you know they spent weeks sort of naming the problem and then they said what should we do and you said
1: let's pray we we should we should focus on prayer let's, let's start there
0: and their response was
1: like why would we do that like <laughs> wh- wh- no we're talking about getting some things done.
0: We want to do. So, we want to fix the problem.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It's like, why would we pray? Why would we do that?
1: I mean, we'll pray to start the meeting and right. to we end will the meeting. We'll
0: ceremonially pray, but but our prayer hope is in as us. part
1: of the solution, right? What, no, why would
0: we do God's that? God's not going to help us. No. We got to fix this. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: what do you think the local church is currently doing right? in terms of shaping people in the way of Jesus Christ?
0: Well, I mean, I think, I mean, this is the reason that we believe so passionately in our churches, not mirroring the brokenness of the world. Mm. So like in our, in our country, there's this deep division and enmity between groups, between, between groups, you know, in different economic classes, between groups in different ethnic groups. And so when the church is the body of Christ and when people who used to be enemies experience real deep kinship and belonging not only to God but to one another, then that just changes the way you see the world and it changes your behavior and it changes your choices and it changes what you authentically want. And I think that kind of heart change of people has been the only thing that has ever, you know, been the way that the Holy Spirit has reshaped the world, right? And so I I think when the church does that, um, you know, when the church doesn't run away from discomfort but runs towards it, um, and, and a discomfort that's not an intellectual discomfort, because I actually think our denomination is really good at embracing the intellectual discomfort. Like, you know, I just got an invitation the other day from a colleague who I respect who was talking about a conference that's coming up on white supremacy and saying, like, I, I really want you and your congregation to come. And like, okay, like, there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, if if all the white churches in the presbytery are going to sponsor this conference and go to this conference and sit and listen to really good people teach about white supremacy and then go back to their white segregated churches and think like we did a thing that really mattered. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I don't think so. And I think like people in my church, do we need to learn about whites? I mean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We have things to learn as white people. We have things to learn. It's our work too. I get it. I get it a thousand times. I get it. And we We are doing the work of living in community with one another and reaping the fruit of that every day and let me just tell you, like it's hard like there are cultural constructs that we trip over with each other all the time, and mm-hmm. we have to work really i mean it's good work, it's the right work, but to say like, you know, you didn't do this thing in this way that I expected on this timeline, what does it mean, and how can I be curious about that instead of be? you know, instead of telling a story in my head about what this means about who you are or who you think I am or what, I mean like that, but that's the real changing, like having uncomfortable conversations that, that really, it's like growing a muscle, right? Like you, you work out, you actually damage the muscle and then it's in the repairing of that muscle, you get stronger. It's like having these conversations that actually damage relationships, like damage them, And then if you lean into that and have the next brave conversation and the next brave and spirit-mediated conversation, that's how they grow holier, right? So I just, I mean, it has to be a discomfort that's different than just an intellectual discomfort of feeling like I went and I heard it and I felt bad about myself and despairing of the world. And now I get to go back to what's comfortable. That, That, I just the church has to look like the body of Christ and where it doesn't, we have to ask really hard questions of ourselves about what are we loving more than the way of Jesus. Um, and it could be our pensions. Mm. It could be the fact that we get to do full-time work for the church instead of being tent makers. Mm-hmm. It could be respectability. It could be certain programs. Like I really, we want to, you know, I, I, that's, those are the questions. But I mean, like what we've been doing, God is here. So I just, we don't need to do anything for God. We need to radically abandon our own agendas to what God is doing. And that might include composting toilets and becoming vegan. Mm. I hate that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had a Korean pastor in our presbytery ask me, um, recently, last week, why someone like him, why someone like me, to ethnic minorities, when called to historically white congregations, get called to congregations that are struggling it's not first church whatever
0: because they can have whoever they want Mm -hmm. and whoever they want is not you and not me Mm -hmm. like women and i will say white women get invited into leadership when the churches are too poor to hire a man period full stop end of story show me the lie
1: well that's exactly uh what i said to him and we then i said the ch- the challenge for us is to see and know that reality
0: mm-hmm.
1: and at the same time receive the opportunity with joy and to engage the work faithfully
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though we know that if circumstances were different <laughs> mm-hmm. if the budget if the number in terms of numbers in terms of membership were different probably would have looked for someone else.
0: Right. And I I mean, and not to have a reverse pride, like self-righteousness about that, right? Because Correct. again, if you norm yourself on the culture, you'll get really angry. If you norm yourself on Jesus, you're like, okay, well, so so Jesus wasn't too good to come down and dwell among humans, but I'm too good to go and serve.
1: Which is why you set. you have to approach it with a certain attitude. You mm-hmm. You still have to, At the end of the day, have a mindset that says getting to do ministry anywhere is a privilege from the Lord. And if we are the Lord's servants, then we go where we are sent, knowing that we may not be the first choice, but God wants to. But
0: we are God's choice
1: yes and and that yeah. god is doing a work in the local congregation and in us and in us
0: and I, I think the reality is if if my if i have a posture that sees pastoring in line with being a professor or a therapist or a physician then i go in and say like i am worthy cuz i have this degree and i have you know and you need to whatever but if but if i see myself as in in as someone unworthy who was served and saved by God Almighty, then I don't have any more posturing at all. Like, I know that there's no difference between my sin and anybody else's sin. And I believe that God saves through redemption, not by sorting. And so I believe that the people I'm called to serve are miracles. Mm. And I believe that what God is doing in their midst is miraculous and I want to be a part of it. And I know that I am being redeemed even as I enter into that space. And I think that's the real challenge is both to see the truth and to say, I know that I'm not less worthy. And I also know that this whole worthiness, unworthiness scale is crap and I need to let it go because there is both no one who is worthy and no one who is unworthy of redemptive love and I am excited about that story and I am excited that you know that it is true and that it is our destiny and that I am not too proud or too righteous to serve anyone and I cannot be disgraced by anyone because I serve in the name of Jesus Christ. And I know that greatness in the kingdom looks like serving. And it looks like serving the worthy and the unworthy. And, it, and I know that if I understand anything, it's because God has graciously revealed God's self to me and brought me from blindness into sight. Mm. And so I'm not proud of who I am. And I'm not disgusted by who anybody else is. And the culture war will try to suck me into that. And I have to resist it. Um,
1: And if the local congregation can resist it, then the local congregation becomes this, um, this powerful community of, of shaping people spiritually in the way of Jesus that you just can't get that anywhere
0: else. Right, right. And we do, you know, we do have a way of living with no matter whatness that is so beautiful that it draws people in Mm. when we say like i we do not want anything from you we want to serve you we want to bless you it is our honor to do that and also if you want to serve with us that's our honor and our gift and our joy too and i
1: remember the first time um i stood before a congregation a sunday morning it was offering time and i said to the congregation i said to those gathered you know, it's now offering time. We're going to do this thing that we do every week. And then I said to those who were our first-time guests, feel no obligation to give. If you're moved to give, great. If not, no obligation, no pressure here. And and after worship, some folks came up to me and said, why would you do did you?" And it was a Sunday that we had a large, larger than usual, you know, a mm-hmm. uh, amount of uh first-time guests and why would you do that there was an opportunity we could have gotten a larger offering it's like we are connected to the one who supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory we are okay
0: right and we and
1: astonishingly that was enough
0: right and we do not have a business model yeah i mean the reality is either god will supply our needs Or God won't. And we better discover it. If if God is not faithful, we better discover that as soon as possible. We better stop propping God up (laughs) by manipulating people. You know, and I just think like, this is the thing. Like we are called to radical trust and vulnerability and it is hard. And like, that doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. And it doesn't mean that the people in our church or the people around our church are some sort of inferior, like they don't make them like they used to. Like there's a spiritual battle going on. And the, the lies of the enemy are seductive and beautiful to our fallen eyes, and and the good news of the gospel is that God is still sufficient to save. And um, that's a hard that's that is a hard thing to trust in a world that tells us we can only trust ourselves yeah. and only trust our own power. And we got to stop talking. This podcast is too long.
1: Do you realize you say that every week?
0: I know, and it's true every week born born by the fact that once i say it we quit talking And <laughs> so there you go
1: so what what are you preaching
0: well i'm going to preach about joseph and the dream and the higher righteousness that god calls us to yeah, say
1: more about that because it was pretty i mean on um, our run i almost said walk but we ran we
0: ran and we for ran. a
1: second week i did not die you did not I die. i ran i shall live and not die but you were talking about what you were going to preach um during the run, and it's not the normal Joseph sermon that says, "Hey, isn't Joseph a great guy?" Because he could have had Mary Stone, and he didn't. And uh, yay, raw, yay, raw. Let's celebrate Joseph. You are, you are, you are deconstructing that reading of the text and taking us beyond that reading to something um, that I would say better, more faithful. And so just unpack that a little bit.
0: Well, I, I um, started studying this a little bit last week because I thought I was going to preach it last week. And so one of the things I think Howard Wass, who's a theologian, I really like, was talking about Joseph as the as a model. Like we see very clearly, like oh, Mary is a model. We need to understand Joseph is a model too.
1: I love it that you asked the question before we started recording. <laughs> we sing the song "Mary, Did You Know," and no one sings "Joseph, Did You Know."
0: Right, and we <laughs> need to. Th- I mean, so so Joseph, so Joseph resolves to do something that is like compassionate righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Like Mary is pregnant. He knows it. He knows that it's not his baby. He knows that he is in this engagement, sacred covenant with her, and that, you know, her sexuality belongs to him. And he, like, there are no paternity tests, but he knows. And so there are covenant obligations of what do you do when a woman who is betrothed or married is pregnant? And, you know, the covenant obligation to protect the family is you have there has to be a consequence and so you know if you read Deuteronomy 18 like it's brutal it's like you know if a woman is bound to be with child and she says she was raped like if it's in the country stone the rapist not her but if it's in the city stone her too because there are people around and she should have cried out for help and she would have been helped and I mean like it's 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 a thing and Joseph is a righteous man and he he knows that um, he did not impregnate Mary um, but he also is bound to this covenant, which says, "Hey, the whole flourishing of the larger community is at stake, and you need to have her stoned." And he said, "Like, well, I'm not, you know, I can't ignore the scripture, but I can't have her stoned, so he's going to divorce her quietly, um, which is not, you know, like that's a human righteousness, right?" Um, and and then that the Lord has to come to him in a dream and say, "No, actually." <laughs> your Mary is not unrighteous like I am Mary is the mother of the Messiah the long awaited one and you need to take her as your wife and I think there's just so much interesting about that which is like a he he had already done his theological calculus and now God calls him to do a thing that will like impart shame to him permanently because it's unbelievable and so no one and so he in this moment he has to choose Like among the many things he has to choose about, like, is he going to choose to look righteous or to be righteous? And those are you. He can't do both. And so that's a really interesting thing to think about all the times in human history when being faithful to God is going to make you look like a betrayer. It's going to make you look like a sinner. It's going to make you look stupid and shameful and weak and like a cuckold and we were talking about like Will Smith like this idea that we still live in an honor shame culture and the idea of a man remaining with a woman who had shamed him like I I mean I have this conversation often about women who are navigating relationships with their partners who do not trust them to be faithful and like What a woman has to do to prove, I mean, like today, in 20, like what a woman has to do to prove that she's faithful and what a man will do, you know, I mean, like that, that's so real. And so, like, often, like, we, one of the things we want to practice religion for is because it brings us honor and makes us appear righteousness. And what about when following Jesus means? you look dishonorable and you look like a jump. But the reality is that is often like, that's the way of Jesus. And so the fact that Joseph, you know, chose that higher righteousness, like chose to be faithful to God, even when what God was doing was literally beyond his capacity for understanding. And, you know, he had to, um, he had to believe in a dream. And like, as a mainline person, I, I, you know, I primarily connect to God through scripture. Like I just experience scripture as really sacred and I have my most transformative supernatural experiences with God through the book. But I mean, the book itself teaches me that God shows up in dreams and in visions. Mm-hmm. And so these, these things are still, this is still, you know, God is the same today and tomorrow and always. And, and so you know, people in my congregation come to me and said, like, I have a word from the Lord or I have a vision and I it makes me uncomfortable. And yet. if it, it And yet what if Joseph had said, you know, that was just some bad tuna and I don't you know, like God sometimes cannot speak to us through uh, in ways that our tradition can co-sign on, like because God is doing a radical new thing. And like, what does that mean for us when? You know, we have to walk in like such vulnerability. We cannot be certain that what we're doing is right. And we have to wake up every day and say, God, I want to be faithful. And if you don't help me be faithful, like I'm screwed. I can be like Saul on the way to Damascus to kill a bunch of people who are following you. Like if you don't intervene in my life. And so we have to have this, the longer we go with God, the greater our humility has to be that we're not sure that we know what to do in any situation and like certainty is really a sign of immaturity. Right. And like, and I think just all of this is about like how we as a community of faith can see not just Mary, like, yes, we're called to be God bearers, but we're also called to be Joseph. Like people who are saying like, I will, I, I will let go of my respectability. I will appear unrighteous. Like I will give up this life that I feel entitled to. I will, I, I will plug into a power that's marginal in the world Um, And also, like, Joseph was rejected. Like, people expected a Messiah. They did not expect an incarnation. So people thought the Messiah would be born like every great anointed king, savior had been born, like, in the natural way. And so when the angel shows up and says, like, well, Mary is giving birth to God's son, you know, so, so Mary is not, you know, like i mean i think that's real and like a lot of times we do see god do something astonishing that we would have loved to be a part of and we were not picked yeah and like how do we how do we navigate that um so i just think there's a lot there but mainly just this idea of like in a community of faith if we are about believing that god is doing something radically new then we have to expect to be confused, we have to expect to be disappointed, we have to expect that we are not walking by sight but by faith, and it's going to feel like fumbling around in the dark, and that's why it's so important that what we are doing is coming alive in Christ, because you know, we would despair were it not for the witness of that scripture that like Joseph had this theophany, right? Like, Like an angel of the Lord came down to him and said, this is what the Lord is calling you to do. And I'm sure he still felt full of doubt. I'm sure. But, but apart like, from
1: that dream, he just would have gone with what he knew to be the best possible option.
0: Right. And the best possible option was brutal. And the best possible option was to, you know, to, to potentially destroy... I mean, not that we can destroy the providence of God, and this is where we get to angels on a pinhead kind of thing I don't really like to talk about, but I mean, like, the human righteousness that we would aspire to would have been destructive to um, the coming of the Lord. And we just have to understand that, like, that's all of us. Like, just as Mary is all of us, Joseph is all of us. And um, so, yeah, I just am thinking about all of that and sacrifice and what does it mean to be a community that's willing to be Given a radical dream from God that requires us to turn our backs on everything that we knew and loved, even in our own identity and perceived as sacred. It's a lot. And that is where we can make then Christmas, like the Nativity story, be not sentimental. Like it's not the Peanuts cartoon, right? Like it right. really calls us to a, a place of vulnerability and fear of the Lord that is uncomfortable but is where actual growth can happen mm-hmm. and it calls us so far be, it makes us see like why are the culture wars so attractive because it is so much more comfortable to just sit and think well that guy's a jerk yeah well that has this position stupid. i'm right, right you're I'm wrong right, you're wrong but to say like oh gosh where god are you trying to give me a dream and i'm resisting and
1: where in my life do i think i'm right? i'm certain that i'm doing the right thing and yet God has to intervene with a dream or a word or somehow give me a revelation to show me, oh, what I think is the righteous thing actually isn't the righteous thing to
0: do. Yeah, and like what where like how open are you to the Lord showing up in a dream and saying or in some way and saying this thing that you really have struggled with
1: mm-hmm.
0: is actually hindering me. And will you do something different? Like, what do you love more, your own righteousness or the righteousness of God? And that's a real struggle for all of us all the time. And I think especially for people who try to care about justice, Mm -hmm. right, to say, like, where are places that you might be fighting for justice or fighting for righteousness or or fighting? Mm -hmm. And God might be calling you to something that looks shameful or even like a betrayal, but is actually a, a higher righteousness that's not able to be celebrated by the world or ever realized in your lifetime.
1: Well, last week we talked quite a bit about repentance while we were running. I mean, there you go. It's, can we make space in our life with God for God to call us to repentance Mm -hmm. and it not be uh, that it... That it be something that we welcome instead of run from because we think it's shameful. Mm-hmm. But repentance it's really it's it's the way of life,
0: right? And I think the bottom line is for so long religion has said like do what we tell you and you will be righteous. Mm-hmm. And can we want something more than that? Mm-hmm. Like can we say what is important is not my righteousness at all, but the you know but the coming of the kingdom of the righteousness of God, mm-hmm. and that God's ways are so much higher than our ways that it really just might be impossible. Yeah, we've got to
1: recover the idea that we are people of the way, that we are Mm -hmm. walking away. Not that we simply, from the neck up, we know the right way, Mm -hmm. but we are walking in a way that is constantly challenging and transforming us.
0: Right, because the reality is, like, Joseph, well, I mean, we talked about this too, like, but Joseph knew the scriptures. Yeah. I mean, like, it was not that he did not love God and it was not that he did not know God. Although I was saying earlier, like, there, there is Deuteronomy codes about infidelity or unfaithfulness and adultery. And there's also and. the prophet Hosea, right? So there was even in Joseph's day a model for a way that um, a, a form of righteous love that does not scapegoat the perceived sinner, but actually... So, I mean, like, even if Joseph didn't know he had two models for how he could respond to mary's infidelity and one is to put her away quietly and the other is like hosea to to pursue her like gomer right like even if he didn't know he he had different choices but his understanding of what scripture was applicable in that moment was shaped by the honor shame system of his culture and you know i mean and that's true for all of us right so And which just brings me back to this place of like, if we are not aware of how radically we need filling with the Holy Spirit, we, we are in real danger. See, I told you we had to stop talking. Now He's giving me the wrap it up sign, and I, I gotta just want go you to pick know up my child. I was the one who said, like, Yeah, we gotta wrap this up. Um, thank you all so much for listening to us this week. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing at Derrida Presbyterian Church, you can check out their website, which is deridapres.org. I'm trying to do this really fast, and you can check out their YouTube channel, it's D E R I T A Prez, and you can check out their podcast which is on the pod bean website the derided church podcast and if you want to know what god is doing at the grove you can check out our website which is www.thegrovecharlotte.org or our podcast or our youtube channel thanks a lot for listening we'll talk to you next week